Are we ready, Philip, and running? If you have your uh, Bible open to the Gospel of John, you can close it. We're going to take a break from the Gospel of John. I have been pushed and pushed and pushed by Father over the years to do a, a teaching on this particular area that we're going to look at today. And I have uh, not fought it, but not really been excited about doing it. Because every time that I tend to teach on a particular topic, uh, the Lord makes me go through that topic, you know, so that it becomes heartfelt reality and not just theory. And uh, to be honest with you, of late, this has been a struggle. And so I finally said, all right, God, I give up. I'm going to teach on this because I'm getting sick of going through it. Okay? So it's very selfish on my part. It's great to have you here to share in the selfishness. But I trust that this is something that you're going to be ministered to because I believe that every one of us experiences it as well. The great maestro Toscanini was as well known for his ferocious temper as he was for his musicianship. It is said that when members of his orchestra played badly, he would often grab whatever was close by and hurl it to the ground and smash it. Well, it's reported that during one rehearsal, there was a flat note that sounded out, and Toscanini looked around for something to grab, and there was nothing nearby. So he took off his watch and hurled it to the ground, smashed it to bits beyond repair. Not long afterward, he received from his devoted musicians a luxurious velvet-lined box that contained not one, but two watches. One was a very expensive replacement for the very expensive watch he he had smashed. The other was a rather cheap watch on which was inscribed on the back for rehearsals only. (laughs) Now, my friends, it would be nice if all outbursts of anger could be solved that easily, right? To fix the effects of unchecked outbursts that quickly. But as most all of us know, it's not that simple. Uncontrolled anger. When a man or a woman or even a child is led to uncontrolled anger, brought to the point of rage, all too often it will lead to verbal abuse. When you and I have our anger shoot up so high that we are unable to control it, words leap off our lips and they cut like a knife into the person that we are directing those words to. And it's devastating, devastating consequences. How many of you have ever been the recipient of uncontrolled anger? Okay, good. We have about ten of you who are human beings. How many of you have been victims of another person's words that have just literally cut you? Okay, that's about half of you. We'll get the other half now. How many of you have victimized others with the word? Okay, good. We've got some honesty here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you hear those words? Why don't we say them together? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You and I have within this little member right here the ability to either build someone up and encourage someone and give them life. We also have the same ability to murder people. Because Proverbs says words go down into the innermost parts of man and can break bones. People can literally be destroyed by the tongue. 
what we say, how we say it. And of course, it goes beyond that. It also goes to physical abuse. Uncontrolled anger can lead to physical devastation of another human being. The very first social sin was the result of uncontrolled anger. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain was envious of Abel, and God even warned him about it, didn't he? He said, Cain, do you well to be angry? Watch it, son. Cain, of course, said, yeah, I do well to be angry. Unchecked the anger, and it led to murder as he killed his brother Abel. And it's not just the verbal and the physical, it's also the nonverbal. The look. How many of you as little children were victims of the look? <laughs> or even as a spouse, a victim of the look today? And our eyes communicate hatred, rage. You're, you're holding it back, but man, you can, anybody can read the eyes. And it communicates powerful messages to another human being. And it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Now, I hope you heard a key word here that I've continued to use. It is the word uncontrolled anger. Not just anger, but uncontrolled anger. I want to stress that at the very beginning. Because the church, in a very real way, has communicated to its people that anger is a sin. I can remember sitting in a particular elders meeting. I won't say it was here. Could have been. But in a particular elders meeting, and there was an issue that was, was wrong. And I began to get angry about it. And another elder said to me, you're getting angry, you're getting angry. And I said, so what? We ought to be angry about this. God himself is angry. We're made in his image. That means we ought to be angry. In fact, the scripture says what? That it's not a sin to be angry, but in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, in fact, what? Be angry. There are a lot of Christians, my friends, that are sinning by not being angry. There are some things you and I ought to be angry against. What's the key word? Just don't sin in the process. And we'll have a lot more to say on that as we, as we go along in terms of what, it, of what it means. The key is that we don't want to be uncontrolled with our anger. And we'll explain what that means as we go through this study. Now, let me say this by way of introduction. I have been studying this for a long, long time. I have been fighting it for an even longer time. Can any of you relate to that? Okay. It's a huge subject. And I want to say at the very beginning, there is no way that you and I are ever going to exhaust this topic. If we continue to try to exhaust it, we do nothing but study anger and its effects for the rest of our lives. It's a huge subject. So what we want to do is we want to be very focused in this study. I want, what I want to do is I want to focus not so much on its effects. Every one of us has been the recipients of the effects. Or we have given the effects. And, and we know what those are. I don't want to focus on that. What I want to do is I want to focus on the cause. I want to look at the source. Put simply, I'll put it this way. We don't want to fix or treat the symptoms. What is it we want to treat? The disease. Let me give you an example. If you had cancer and you went to a doctor because the cancer was causing you pain and the doctor over here prescribed morphine, and sent you home. What's he treating? He's treating the symptom. What do you want this doctor to treat? You want him to treat the disease, right? You want him to treat the cause of the pain. That, in a very real way, is what I want to do in this study. 
we could address the issue of the anger and its effects and try to, to teach, don't be angry, or, or how to clear up the anger when it's there. And we'll address those in, in some part. But the much bigger issue is over here. I want to address the cause of the anger. Because anger is, in essence, a secondary emotion. That's what we would call it. In other words, anger doesn't exist in a vacuum. Anger doesn't exist by itself. People don't walk around naturally being uncontrollably angry. There's a cause behind it. And that's what we want to do. We want to get to the cause. We want to treat the disease. And as I have studied this and studied this over the years, I have arrived at basically four causes of uncontrolled anger. Notice we're going to keep saying uncontrolled. We don't want to deal with just normal anger, which is okay. In fact, in many cases, right. But in terms of uncontrolled anger, I have found basically three causes, and then we'll look at a fourth cause, which is a righteous cause for anger. So does that make sense? We're going to look at four separate causes of anger in this study. And it'll probably take us four weeks to do it. Now, before we do that, before we begin to look at it, I think we need to go to the ultimate teacher, right? Because this is a, a potential for some error here when you get man looking at an issue from the Word and bouncing all around trying to find it. So we want to chew on the meat and spit out the bone. We want the Holy Spirit to teach us. We want the Holy Spirit to point out if there's any error in this study, right? So let's go to him and, and let's just pray and ask him to do his work as we look at this issue. Our Father, uh, this is a very devastating issue. We, we know that just by the show of hands today. Those of us who have been the recipients of uncontrolled anger, and we still deal with its effects even as adults, uh, those of us, unfortunately, who have been the givers of uncontrolled anger, and, and that's not our heart. We don't want to be that way. We really want to change, Father. We want to be saved. The word saved, meaning to make whole. That's what we want to be. We want to be whole human beings. So, Father, you be our teacher. Open our eyes. Maybe through this study, we'll, we'll get to the causes of this and we'll see in our hearts why we are responding with an uncontrolled anger, and we'll be able to change it by the power of your Spirit and the truth of your Word. So that's our prayer here today. Glorify yourself in each and every life, and may we walk out of here with more Spirit-controlled anger and less uncontrolled anger. That's our prayer. We lay it at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, beloved, I'm going to put the overhead for you. The very first cause of uncontrolled anger so that we'll have it before us in our eyes and not just in our ears. And the first, and by far, I believe, the most common cause of uncontrolled anger is what we'll call blocked goals. Why don't we say that to each other? Blocked goals, so we can get that in our heads. And I would add that this is also the hardest one to deal with for two main reasons. One is it comes naturally to us to respond with blocked goals to have blocked goals, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. And secondly, it comes so often to us, and we'll explain. I believe, as with most all of our problems, that the root of this, the cause of this, can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3 and the rebellion of man. And you remember the temptation there, right? When Satan tempted Eve... And then through Eve tempted Adam. And what was the source, the main root of the temptation? You shall be, what? As God. 
There it is. You shall be as God. Now, the supreme attribute of God, my friends, that really sums up who he is, is this attribute here. Sovereignty. Meaning, he runs the show. And the reason this sums up his supreme attribute, some of you I know are thinking holiness, because it's the only attribute repeated what? Three times in Scripture. But it really is sovereignty that sums up who he is, because sovereignty sums up all of his other attributes. Let me explain. He is qualified to run the show. Why is he qualified to run the show? Because of all that he is. For example, he is omniscient. What does that mean? It means he knows everything. He is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. That certainly qualifies him to run the show. He's always right and he's everywhere to make sure that rightness is exercised. And that is because, thirdly, he can pull that off. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can make sure that what's right happens. He's holy, which means that everything he's going to do is perfect. And he is also love, which means that whatever he's doing, it's the best thing for others that he has created. So he is certainly qualified to run the show. He is certainly qualified to be the sovereign God. And if we were just to illustrate this, this is God. Now, I put a circle here because, you know, it helps to have a finite thing for finite minds, right? But if you get this example, here is God, all that he is, omnipotent. In fact, let's do this. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. You know, you have to do that in King James English kind of when you're, you know, pastor type. But it's omnipotence and omnipresence and all-powerful and, and all-knowing. And, and see what this little speck is here? Did you all see that speck? That's a world. See, that's the world. Did you see the world? Kurt, you look confused. That's the world right there, brother. See, when you're so big and so all-consuming, and the world is, you're, it's easy to control. See? And in fact, Scripture says this. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. When people try to usurp his control, Psalm 2 says he sits in the heavens and laughs. <laughs> you know, little ant, you know. This is the idea. And one day he's going to come in rage and sort of squash the ants that try to rebel, you see. And so we, we, we put it in a circle, but really we drew the arrows out because God is infinite, right? But it helps in our conceptual thinking to see that, that God is so much bigger than the world. So he's qualified to reign. Now, my friends, this is what man bought into. And who is man? Look in the mirror. It is you. And it is I. Man attempted to be God. Man attempted to be sovereign. Man attempted to run the show. Now, please understand, you and I as Christians have come to understand that this belief system is a lie. And there's not a one of you here, I believe, I hope, that would say they are God. But the way some of you act, the way we all act, it certainly proves that this is a part of our makeup. We were all born in Adam, which means we all have Adamic tendencies. Now, we've become children of God. We've been transformed. We've got a brand new heart, brand new spirit. 
but there's this thing called flesh. And the flesh is of Adam, and it is still of the mindset that we are God. And the number one supreme characteristic of the flesh is that it is a controller. Because that's what sovereigns do. You all with me? The problem is that man is not qualified to be sovereign. Man is not qualified to run the show. Why not? Because man is not all-knowing. He thinks he's right all the time. In fact, how many of you live with... No, we don't have to do that. But you know what I'm talking about. We think we're right. But we're not, so we're going to be proven wrong. But sometimes we're so stubborn and tenacious that we'll refuse to admit that we're wrong. Right, honey? That was meant for me. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> See, this is what happens. And then we're not everywhere. So I can't control people when they're not around me. And, I, you know, the real truth is you can't control people even when they are around you. How many of you know that? You're not omnipotent. You can't make people obey you. In fact, let's just skip ahead. I think this will fit better here. I had an illustration for later. But let's do this now. Driving. How many of you know that you cannot control other drivers? But how many of you respond to that as if you think you ought to be able to control other drivers? Let me give you an example. Here you are here in this little blue car. In this intersection. Your goal is to turn left. Do you see that? Now, there is a car coming from the other direction, way down the road, so you have time to pull out. But there is a problem. What is the problem? You have another car coming in the opposite direction that is close to you. So you are forced to what? Wait. And you wait. And you wait. And then this car slows down and makes a right turn without giving a signal. How many of you have ever experienced that? And by this time, what has happened? This car has now gotten so close that you are unable to pull out into traffic. And behind them is a long line of cars. And you are forced to wait another 10 to 30 seconds. And it just peeves you. And you are angry. And what do you begin to do? You begin to punish the person in the other car. Oh, you. And the rage of God goes out against this sinner in your universe. And you know what the problem is? They're oblivious to your rage. They are driving on down the road, just like nothing ever happened. You honk the horn, you look at them, signal! And they're looking at you, you know. And, they're, and for the next 20 minutes, your heart is beating your blood pressures up, and you snap at the kids, and you snap at your spouse. Right, honey? And this is what happens to us little gods. It doesn't work. Right? All right. Where were we? And we're not perfect. And we're not fully loving. If I was to illustrate this, this is how it would be. There's a huge world out there. And that's us in the middle. And you ever... It's really setting yourself up for some trouble... So a lot of major block goals, if you have the belief system or even the, the thinking process, just the flesh, my friends, that we are God. Because there is an awful lot to try to control out there. Not only that, we end up with this thing in the world called people. 
And they have the same struggle. So they're coming to us with their little world and them being the God of their little world. And the two people coming together and what now becomes the supreme question? Who's going to be God? Now, I've tried to tell Janet for 16 years that the one best qualified should be the one to play the part. But it doesn't work, you see, because I'm not qualified. And I think I'm right, and I try to make sure that I'm right, and I try to make it happen. But it's just, it's block goals. It's block goals, my friends. And we're all subject to it. It happens in the cradle. We can see it there where a little tyke tries to stack his blocks, but he only gets so high, and then the blocks crumble. Why do the blocks crumble? He doesn't build them perfectly straight. That's one. Two, what law is he fighting against? The law of gravity. And the law of gravity is going to win when blocks are not stacked perfectly straight. So the law of gravity takes over, the blocks come tumbling down, and what does the little tyke in the cradle do? He hurls the blocks away and refuses to play anymore. Why? Because God's goal has been blocked. Does that make sense? It starts in the cradle, my friends, but please hear this. This is such an important point. As we get older, the potential for blocked goals increases. How many of you knew that? See, it starts in the cradle, but when you're a baby and, and you've got your little cradle world, that's not a lot of problem. But as you get older, you take on this incredible thing called responsibilities. And, and more involvement with other sovereigns. With other people, with other people that have the struggle of trying to be God. And so there's a tremendous potential for blocked goals. And what are blocked goals? They're challenges to our illusion of sovereignty. Did you hear the key word? What's the key word? It's not sovereignty, Kevin. You've been married a while. You ought to know that. To the illusion of sovereignty. Please understand, my friends, control is an illusion. Our sovereignty is an illusion. And I think of the circumstances of life, God is trying to teach us that. And we'd all do ourselves a great favor if we just learn it. Let me give you an example of this. You see, as we get older, there are more responsibilities. There's spouse, there's kids, there's bills. And then there's this other thing that creeps in called T-I-M-E. Time. I tell you, we get more things to do than there is time in the day. And the other, just last week, I was going through this. And, you know, I, I called out to my father and I said, Father, I hate time. I look forward to the day when it's time schmime. When you and I are lifted out of this thing called time and we won't have any deadlines anymore that can cause us stress. Because the stress then leads to uncontrolled anger and we snap at the ones that we don't want to snap at and we damage the ones that we least want to damage. Does that make sense to you? I look forward to the day when the Lord Jesus comes back and puts an end to time. I don't think time was originally intended to be such trouble, but the fall of man has brought the trouble. Well, to really help you understand this, I want to be vulnerable here. 
since the day I came here almost eight years ago, if there's one thing I've sought to do, it's to be very frank with you. So I want to give you an example of how this occurs. And the example is in my own life. An occasion back in seminary. What am I doing in seminary? I don't know either. I've been trying to ask, answer that question for the last 20 years. I was in seminary to learn about God. To learn how to walk with God. So that I could teach others to walk with God. Lofty goals. So that they can walk with God as well. So my goal when I'm in seminary is to get to chapel and get to seminary on time. There's that key word. This one day, especially I wanted to get there on time because it was chapel day. And I was doing chapel. And on that fine spring day, my walk slipped to a crawl through a blocked goal. I was on my way to seminary. And you don't want to be late. Now, I'm poor. Thank you. Very poor. Could have been playing pro football. Making lots of money. But because I have turned that down to go to seminary. Thank you. I am poor. When you're poor, you drive an old car. I drove an old pink Celica. It was pink because it used to be red, but it was, oh, no, it was old. And that's why it faded. See, it's cause and effect, right? It was old, right. And because it was old, it was not very reliable. Good, I'm glad you're in the front row here. What did you say to that, Bruce? Okay, good. That's why you're in the further back rows, my friend. Now, I get into the car and I turn the key. Why do I turn the key? What's the goal? So the car will start. But does it start? No, we have a blocked goal. The car won't start. No problem. You keep trying. You want to do that with me today? Okay, good. But the car will not start because it's an old battery. So you don't want to try to crank it too many times or the battery will go kaput and then you'll really be in trouble. After repeated attempts to get this thing started... I have now repeated block goals. And so what happens, what begins to happen to Frank with the block goals? I begin to get angry. Is there any problem with that at this point? No, it's okay to be angry at a car that will not start. How many of you know that? Okay. So I express my anger as I get out of the car. Stupid car. And I'm in my nice clothes and freshly showered bod. But I begin to work on the car with a new goal now. What's the new goal? Fix the car. But the car won't fix. So we have now more... Blocked goals, which lead to more intense anger. I am now dirty in my formerly clean clothes and now sweating profusely in my formerly showered bod. Do you all get the word picture? Can any of you relate? As a last resort, I decide to prime this puppy. Uh, why do we try to prime this thing? Priming it means you take gasoline and you pour the gasoline into the carburetor. That's our new goal. Why do we do that? Well, because it has worked before. We put the gas into the carburetor and guess what? The engine begins to crank. It looks like it's going to go. And then suddenly there is an explosion. Boom! And a flame of fire shoots up about three feet out of my engine. And the car is now completely dead. Major blocked goal. 
I get out of the car in a sweet, serene spirit. What's my goal? I'm going to seminary to learn how to walk with God and teach others how to walk with God, right? So I get out of my car in this non-serene spirit, actually in a rage of uncontrolled anger, and I slam the door. I'm getting later all the time. I feverishly try to fix the car, which means you lean over into the engine where it is nice and clean, major dirty. And what do I get on my nice, clean clothes? Oil. How many of you know that oil on clothes is a great way to have new rags? Now, I really don't appreciate this because in seminary I am poor, which means I'll have to buy new clothes, which will make me more poor, which is not a goal. We're in trouble. So with my anger fully justified in my own eyes, what does God decide to do? What does God do to people that block his goal? Remember Psalm 2? You punish what is blocking the goal. So what do I do as God? I punish the car. I haul off and kick the car door. Now, after years of athletics, I have very strong legs. So what do I do to the car door? I put a dent in it. No, not a dent. I put a huge dent in the car door. At this point, the car has punished me. Horrors. To fix the car will cost more money, which will lead to more poverty. So in that rage, as I look in horror at my newly dented door, I turn and I punch like Tuscanini the quickest thing that I can find, which is the garage door. Only in punching the garage door, I happen to hit where there is a cross support beam. Like to broke my hand. And the crazy thing about this, my friends, is it all happened so quickly. It was, boom, get out of the car, slam the door, work on the thing, look at the grease, ah, oh, boom, ah. And why was I in seminary? To walk with God and lead others to walk with God. At that point... I was, in fact, teaching. I was teaching any neighbor who happened to look out their window at what the Bible says about an angry man being a fool. Now, you are laughing, but I have very little doubt that most of you could likewise testify today of a period of uncontrolled anger in your life. Oh, good. Renee, yours was the first head I saw. Would you like to... (laughs) I wouldn't do that to you. But the rest of you, we do want to be vulnerable and honest here, right? We believe in the new covenant that the fig leaves come down and we can be honest with each other. So if the rest of you would like to know about Renee's uncontrolled anger, you can talk to her afterwards, right? And you'll have no qualms being vulnerable and frank with people about things in your life, right? My friends, it happens to all of us. Let me just give you an example. How about the checkout line? God is in a hurry. God goes to the store. God gets what it wants, gets to the line that God thinks will move the fastest. But you're not omniscient. (laughs) And there are other lines that move faster, but you are not omnipresent. So what must you do? Quickly shift lines. And then that person in that line has an item that is not properly scanning. Right? In the meantime, every other line gets filled up and then... 
something else happens. They write their check, and it's a bad check, and so now you're forced to go back to the other line, and what does God want to do more than anything else is punish that slow checker and punish the lines and everything else and uncontrolled anger. But you don't do that because you don't lose uncontrolled anger in public, right? Unless you're frank. So what do you do? You grit your teeth, and then you get out to the car with your spouse or your kids, and you beat them up. Are we connecting on this? Can you relate to this at all? Now, please understand this. This is a very, very important point about uncontrolled anger. You may be right to be angry. It is okay to be angry, even with blocked goals. But what's the key? Just don't sin. Okay, let's pray and go home. That would be a blocked goal. (laughs) What's the key word here? Somebody want to ask it? How? That's the six million dollar question. I mean, how do we pull this off? Here we go. Are you ready? You've been coming here eight years or so, or six years, or four years? Are you ready? You know, just, I'm not going to share if you aren't enthusiastic about this. I mean, if you guys have no trouble with anger, let's just pray, pray and go home. Now, are you ready for this? This is, you all struggle with anger, right? So you're ready for the answer. Here it is. Here's, it's a two-part answer. Don't try to not be angry. Isn't that exciting? Don't try to not be angry. Why? Because what does the Bible teach? We don't live under the law. If you try not to be angry, you're going to be making a law unto yourself. And what is the power of sin going to do? Stir up more anger. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The power of sin is the law. So if you make a law, I am not going to be angry. What's going to happen? Power of sin is going to come in and it's going to stir you up and and make you angry. That's why all diets fail. Because all diets are law. I am not going to eat that cookie. I'm not going to eat that cookie. I'm not going to eat that cookie. What are you thinking about doing? Eating a cookie. What are you going to do? Eat the cookie. No, you're not. You're going to eat half the bag. Because that's the way the law works. Are you all with me? So don't try to, be ang- to not be angry. The Bible never says that. So what are we to do? Live the new covenant life. What does that mean? It means John 15, 1 through 5. Without you, Lord, I can do nothing. So I'm going to abide in you, and when I abide in you, that will produce much fruit. It means apply the truths of the new covenant. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Set your mind on these things. In Christ you have died. So how many rights do you have? None. I give up the right. And who is now your life? Christ. Paul, writing to the Colossian Christians, said, You are dead. I'd love to, I think we ought to do that here on Sunday morning sometimes. As soon as you get here, just to remind you, because we fail to think like this. When you show up on Sunday morning, I say, Hello, Philip, you are dead. See? And Carol would say, Amen. You see, you are dead, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is your life. Who is your life? Jesus, that's right. 
And so this is what we do. We apply the life of Christ to the circumstances that we are in. Here's the application. Lord, I'm in this checkout line right now, and it's really making me angry. See, be fully human, that it's moving so slow. But Lord, I've died, and you are my life. And so if you want your life to wait in line, you're just going to have to handle it, because I can't. See? It's that simple. You're sitting here at that traffic light. Here you are. And that car did that right turn without turning, and you're angry. Be angry. Fully human. Lord, that makes me angry that that person just did that. But Christ is my life. I am dead, and my life is now hidden with Christ and God. So, Father, if you want your life to sit here for 30 more seconds, then you're going to have to handle it because we're going to be late. And if you want your life to be late, then we're going to have to deal with the consequences of my wife when I get late. See? Or the boss. You see how it works? Listen, I get accused of teaching the same message every week from just different passages. Guess what? It's true. (laughs) This is how Jesus lived, and this is how we are to live. It's called setting your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. Now, I need fair play here today. I gave you an example from my life of how I did it wrong. It's only fair that I get to give you an example in my life of how I did it. Say it, please. Right. Oh, I love it when you say that. It's only fair. So here we go. About seven years ago, six, seven years ago, when I came here, I had been given a sabbatical permission from my church in Delaware. They were going to give me some time off to go and do an internship at a major counseling ministry that I really believe in. So that I would know how to walk better and then equip the saints to walk better. When I came here and the elders said, you know, we want you to come here. I said, okay, well, here's a prerequisite. I'm going to need to be given time to go to this internship. I want to take a sabbatical. Well, that's not cool when you come into a new place of work, right? So they said, let's wait a year and then we'll let you go. So I waited a year and then they let me go. The problem is the sabbatical intended, required eight weeks. And it was in Atlanta. So every Monday, every Sunday at about two o'clock, I would leave. And then on Friday night, I'd get back about midnight. And I'd have Saturday and Sunday morning, that was it. But that way it gave me time to be with my family because they couldn't come to Atlanta and travel and and do the whole bit. So it was a really kind of grueling time. So when I came home on Saturday, there were a lot of honeydew. You know what those are? Not a fruit. It's chores. Things to do. And so I would try to get all of those chores done quickly. And it was very important to me to do that because, for example, if the, mo- if the lawn did not look mowed, right? And, and Ben was too little to do that, and Leslie and didn't want Janet doing it. So, you know, it, it looks like nobody's home, and I didn't like that. And the car oil needed to be changed, you know, and, and things like this. So I was a buzzsaw trying to get all this stuff done. All right? What's the goal? Get the chores done and get them done quickly. I'm out in the backyard. We have a huge dog, weighs about 100 pounds. And at that point, I think we had Bob, too. Bob was a little dog we'd found. I don't remember if we had him or not. But in any event, even Hannah by herself, there was a lot of dog. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a lot of dog into the backyard. Now, you've got to pick that stuff up before you mow the lawn. Right? So I picked it up, and there was a lot of it. 
And I put it in a plastic bag and set it on the concrete. We all there so far? I am mowing the lawn, and I'm mowing rather quickly because I've also got the oil dripping into the oil pan because I'm going to do that too. And I've also got the hedge trimmer out there because I'm trimming hedges, and I'm doing everything all at once, and I lost my overhead. Is that the one I want? No, that's okay. That can stay. So I'm mowing the lawn, and I finished on one side of the lawn, and now I've got ready to go to the, concrete, to the other side of the concrete. As I head to the concrete, there's a still small voice inside you. You know the still small voice? And it says, turn the lawnmower off. But I say, wait a minute, I'm in a hurry. I'm not turning it off. So I zip over the concrete. I come to the corner of the concrete where the bag is. And the still small voice says, move the bag. I say to myself, no, I don't have time and I can't maneuver around it. Well, I was able to maneuver around it. It didn't hit the bag. But there's something called a wind draft, you know. And plastic is very light. And as I'm coming around the bag, the plastic begins to, you know, sort of flutter. And it pulls into the wind draft. And it pulls the plastic in under the lawnmower blades and catches the plastic and begins to pull the plastic in. And how do the lawnmower blades turn? Circular? So the bag begins to fly circular through the air like this. It hits the bars and the corners of the lawnmower. And the bag opens up and it begins to sling this stuff in a 360. Lawnmower hits poop bag. Now, that is not part of my goal. We are in trouble at this point, but since I am at a New Covenant internship, my mind is saturated with Jesus and saturated with the New Covenant truths. And so even though I'm covered with caca, from head to toe, hey, that'd be a great title for this first one, don't you think? I scream. Because we have distributed doo-doo 360 degrees and I'm covered with, you know, dog. Now, it's okay to scream at this point. That is human. When I scream, the first of other things begin to happen. The first of which is that the dog investigates and comes to my side. Now, how many of you know that when God is covered with doo-doo, you don't want the cause of that doo-doo within your reach. But my mind is set as I'm saturated for eight weeks. I've got Holy Spirit-controlled anger. And I look at the dog and I go, Get away from me. Which the dog, fortunately for its sake, obeyed. And dog is alive to this day. Enter number two possibility. Daughter shows up. Daughter sees this. Now, she doesn't actually laugh. You know how it is when you're a little kid and you want to laugh, but you know that you're taking your life in your hands if you do? So she is sitting there going... And I said, don't you dare. But the mind is set, saturated with Christ, living the new covenant. I've got Holy Spirit-controlled anger. And daughter is alive to this day. Now, wife is in the house, and she has obviously heard the scream. So she pokes her head out the door. And as wives do, she offers advice. <laughs> what happened? I tell her, 
I hit the bag of doo-doo with the lawnmower. To which she said, why didn't you move the bag? Now, how many of you know I had already thought of that and really didn't need to hear that? Because what it was doing was magnifying back to me the fact that I was not all-knowing and not all-powerful and unable to keep this event from happening. But rather than say something which I would regret later, Holy Spirit, controlled anger, mindset, new covenant, Christ is my life. Lord, if you want your life covered with doo-doo, then you're just going to have to handle it. I did not say anything. But how many of you know that wives are not content with just one comment? So what I say, you know that. You laughed rather loud about that. Some personal testimony can be shared here after the service as well. So I said to my wife, and she said, why didn't you move the bag? I yelled out, I thought I could maneuver around it. Wife provided commentary. And she said, well, it looks like you maneuvered. And I said, God, you gave her to me. (laughs) But with mindset, spirit-controlled anger, I said nothing. And wife is alive to this day. And couple is still married. And I had a very busy afternoon because I had to clean it off the walls, off the sidewalk. And the worst part about it is it had spit it into the pool which I had just freshly cleaned. And so I had to jump into the pool after I got the other clothes off and everything else off. And I'm reaching down, picking these chunks up. And as I'm carrying them up from the bottom of the pool, they are dissolving in my hand. Which means we had to re-vacuum the pool, go buy more chemicals, chemical it up. And I was late that night and didn't get to Atlanta until probably 12.30 or 1 o'clock. Oh. How did we deal with that? With another overhead, and we're going to be done. Very simply, abiding. Lord, if this is what you want your life to experience, you're going to have to provide and handle it. It's very simple, my friends. It's abide. It's practice God's presence. It sets your mind on God and that He's always there with you. We don't enter into His presence and then bail out of His presence. He's always there because His presence is where? Inside. And if he is inside, what is inside you? Omnipotence. Omnipresence. Omniscience. Holiness and love. And all those things channeled somehow through a transformer called your spirit that enables a human being to face whatever life throws at it. And so we'll say this as we close this today. You will be able to handle whatever that life throws at you. What is the four-letter word? Whatever do-do life throws at you with the God who lives inside you and your mind set in dependence upon Him, you will be able to handle whatever life throws at you. Trust me, my friends, that is true. And you better learn to do this because I guarantee you, little gods, you are going to have blocked goals. Father, we've had a lot of fun today, but in the process of fun, I hope that your spirit has impressed on our hearts and minds the reality of these issues, because we do not want to murder people with our words. 
We do not want to devastate those that are closest to us with our looks or our actions. We want to be ministers of life. So, Father, may we walk out of here with the reality deep in our hearts and minds. There will be black goals. That way we can expect them. But may we walk with the equal reality that there is a God who lives in us that will provide all that we need to face those block goals. So that we would be angry and yet not sin. That's our prayer. Thank you, Father, for making it real. Jesus still alive in our bodies. Amen and amen. Steve, do you have some announcements? We have no announcements today. God bless you. What I'd like you to do is greet your neighbor with the love of Christ.